want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to John 15 this morning in the New Testament. We're going to continue with this brief Abide series. And you may have missed it, but Paul inadvertently said that Derek was preaching this morning. Well, sorry to disappoint you. He got me. Derek's not here. He will be preaching next week. But uh, we're going to walk through John 15 this morning. And let me give you a couple uh, this piece of information as we go forward as a church family over the next couple of weeks, this two really exciting weeks in the life of our church, uh, Impact Weeks, you've heard a lot about it, I'm not going to tell you more about it, but just it's one of the most important, exciting weeks in the life of our church. Personally, I love it. Uh, I want to say thank you for being the kind of church that allows us to serve other churches and to serve our region, and thank you that the volunteer uh, positions are filled, and you're that kind of church. It is really a, I hope you feel a privilege that we have to host and lead out in something like impact that's going to have a, a literal impact here in our community and to the ends of the earth and we get to be a part of that and host that I think that's really neat as a church family so that's coming up and then in two weeks from today uh, the last few weeks we've kind of been going through topical series knowing that we were headed toward the book of Acts we're going to be going verse by verse through the incredible uh, New Testament book of Acts that's going to start in two weeks so Go ahead and maybe be reading ahead. We provided a journal that you'll be um, able to walk through that book with, a reading guide, and we'll get all that out to you in the next couple weeks. But that's two weeks from today. We're going to dive in verse by verse through Acts, and I can't wait. I'm looking so forward to that. This morning, we find ourselves in John chapter 15. Uh, Derek began last week talking about the abiding relationship with Christ, and we're going to take that to the next level this morning a little bit and talk about what that looks like exactly. So let me, let me set up what's going on in John 15 and the conversation that's taking place between Jesus and his disciples. I want to set it up this way, all right? Uh, the date was February 14th, 1994. I was a single college student at East Tennessee State University, and there was a particular young lady in my life of interest. Uh, her name was Jennifer. You know her as my wife. But at that time, watch this, we were just friends, all right? Now, we knew there was something there, and we kind of enjoyed hanging out and spending time together, and it kind of grew that we really liked hanging out. We didn't really care if anybody else was around or not. But on this particular day, February 14th, 1994, we had the conversation, because we'd kind of been stabbing around it a little bit, and we knew there was something going on there, but we had never talked about it. So we, we had what we called back in those days, and maybe you call it this today, I don't know. No, you have to ask our students. But we, we defined the relationship. We had a DTR conversation. And it went something like this. You know, I, I, Jennifer, I, man, I really like hanging out with you. I'd I, I like to pursue you know, a relationship with you. And she said something like this. You're the most handsome, godliest man I've ever met in my life. <laughs> now, of course, Jennifer's not here today by chance. I mean, you can ask her about that later. It's something like that. It's foggy. The point is, from that day forward, after this DTR conversation, the nature of our relationship began to change. And we determined that we were going to really launch into kind of a serious pursuit of one another we define the relationship nine months later we were engaged uh, a year and a half later we were married now 21 years later that's the rest of the story they define the relationship that night we did you say okay Mac that's a cool story is that going anywhere here's what's going on in John chapter 15 
Jesus and his disciples are having a conversation and Jesus is defining the relationship to them. To his disciples that have been walking with him for three and a half years, uh, it's Thursday night. Tomorrow he, is Friday. He's going to die on a cross. Three days later, he's going to raise from the dead. Everything is going to be different for them. And now he's withdrawn. Jesus has withdrawn from public ministry. And he's really investing in his disciples now. He's only teaching them exclusively. And he, as he leaves the upper room, he, he's headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't know exactly where the location of the conversation took place. I think it takes place in the Kidron Valley, which is right between Jerusalem and the Garden of Gethsemane. And there is a vineyard. He walks with his disciples, he's walking to the garden, and as they walk through this vineyard, there's grapevines everywhere, and Jesus stops and takes a teachable moment with his disciples and says, okay guys, you see all these grapes, you see these vineyards, Jesus was a master teacher, he could take something very simple that everyone understood and said, okay, here's how your relationship with me works, it's like this grapevine. It's like this vine that comes up out of the ground and the, the nourishment and the life that this vineyard experiences is directly connected to this vine as it comes up out of the ground. It provides nourishment, it provides strength and energy, and then you get these branches and they're connected to this vine. As long as these branches stay connected to this vine, guess what hangs on the other end? They bear fruit. And Jesus said, guys, that's the way... This relationship with me works. So he walks them through that. I want to walk us through that this morning. Build a little bit on what Derek said last week. We're going to start in 15.1 for sake of review. My throat and my voice is a little raspy this morning, like many of you guys in the middle of flu season, so I apologize for that. Chapter 15, chapter 15 verse 1, Jesus talking to his disciples. Let's start there. He says, I am the true vine... And my father is the vine dresser. Now, we read right over that because we don't read it from a Jewish mindset. These boys that he's talking to, his disciples, have been brought up as good Jewish boys. They knew their Old Testament to a degree, and they knew that the nation of Israel was referred to in the Old Testament over and over and over as the vine. God's vine. God's flourishing vine. And in their mind, being in a right relationship with God meant you were rightly connected as a Jewish person. You were in, if you will, the nation of Israel. Well, that was their understanding. And Jesus says, let me, let me adjust your thinking on that. I am the true vine. In other words, the life and the strength and the vitality and the purpose and the meaning that you're looking for comes from me. I'm the true vine. And my father, God the Father, he's the vine dresser. Well, everybody knew what a vine dresser was in that day. The vine dresser had one particular function. He would go through the vineyard, and his goal was for that vineyard to be as fruitful and productive as it could be. So that meant pruning. That meant going through and finding any branches or any, any offshoots from the vine that were barren and weren't bearing fruit. They were just sucking energy, but they weren't bearing any fruit. And he would take them and he would pluck those off so that the vineyard would be healthier. By the way, God does that in your life and my life. It's not always fun while we're in the middle of it, but God is determined for every child of God of his that you'll bear maximum fruit for his glory and for our joy. He's doing that. 
So he says, my father is the vine dresser. And then he goes on, verse 2, and he says, okay, every branch in me. And again, he's walking through. The, the vine comes up out of the ground. There's these, van, these branches that shoot out from it. And he says, every branch that is in me, or, paraphrase, at least every branch that identifies with me, says they're in me. He says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That was very poignant for them in that moment because there were only 11 disciples in this conversation. One of them had drifted away. One of them, after three and a half years, Judas had shown his true colors that he had, watch this, identified with Jesus for three and a half years. He wore the t-shirt, he had the bracelet, he knew the talk, but he had never been transformed by a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There was no fruit in his life. And he was no longer with them. But then he turns to the eleven who had a true relationship with Jesus, and he says, and every branch in me that bears fruit... The Father prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Your Heavenly Father is determined and committed to your fruit bearing. We're going to talk about what that means in just a few minutes. Only two kinds of branches here. The kind of branch that bears fruit and the kind of branch that doesn't bear fruit. One is truly connected to the vine, the other is not. The only way a true connection to the vine or a true, let's say it this way, a true relationship with God is evidenced over time is whether or not we're bearing fruit in our lives. Whether or not there's evidence in our lives of a life-transforming relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, my Father's committed to you bearing more fruit. Verse 3, very important verse. He says, you, the 11, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Man, that is a glorious statement. If you're here and you're a child of God, he says the same thing to you. You are right with God. You have a right standing with God because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. He's done everything necessary for you to be right with God. That's the gospel message. Not what we do, believing and trusting in what has been done for us. He says, you, you 11, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me. Abide in me. That is an absolutely beautiful statement, just filled with meaning and application for us. To those disciples, he says, listen, here's what's going to characterize your relationship with me. Here's my invitation to you. Abide in me. He says it over and over in these verses. In fact, there's no other command in this passage until you get down to oh, about verse 11 or 12. But he over and over, in the imperative voice, he says, Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Jesus, by the way, never commands his disciples to bear fruit. He doesn't say, you go out and work hard. You go out and try real hard. It'd be like going up to a grapevine and say, Okay, grapevine, you better produce fruit. He says, Abide in me. And when you're abiding, the natural overflow of abiding is fruit-bearing. What does that mean? What does that look like? Let's talk about that. Verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch, remember the branch, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. We'll talk about that this morning. That was basically to say, listen, you're helpless. <laughs> <laughs> 
(laughs) Our flesh sometimes doesn't like that. Jesus says, basically, you better realize you are totally dependent upon me to bear fruit or to do anything of any meaning in this life or anything that honors the Father. It's not a self-improvement plan. It is a transformation of Christ in you. You are dependent totally on me. Just like, watch this, just like if you were to take that branch and you disconnect that branch from the vine and you lay it on the ground and you expect it to bear fruit, it cannot do it. It does not have anything in itself to bear fruit. This was a graphically <clears throat> represented to me several years ago when Jennifer and I first moved here from Las Vegas. We moved to Tennessee and we were so excited. The house we bought had grape vines. Grape vines were out around the house, and I thought, yeah, man, I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to have kind of like a little vineyard here, and I'm going to have all these grapes. And the, the first summer, I went out there, and early, I don't know, it was maybe May or something like that. One of the branches on the end of it had all these little small, little seedling grapes, and I was thinking, yeah, I'm becoming this awesome farmer, and I'm going to grow these grapes. And the same year, we bought a dog, a Labrador, and Labradors like to chew on things. So I was so excited about my grapevine, I ran out there, and one day I noticed that my nice, healthy branch wasn't looking so good anymore. And before long, the thing had shriveled up, and the grapes had shriveled up, and there was nothing left, and it didn't take long to figure out that my nice little lab had gnawed the branch right off the vine. And the life source, the strength and the energy and the vitality was cut off, and that thing just shriveled up. And I thought about this passage. In and of ourselves, we don't have the capacity to honor God. In and of ourselves, we don't have the capacity to know joy, to bear fruit. Jesus says, you are totally dependent upon me. And that's why he says, abide in me. Abide in me. And then he kind of sums it up, if you will, in verse 5. He says, okay, if you don't get it, let me sum it up so you get all the pieces to this. I'm the vine, you're the branches, He who abides in me and I in him, he's going to bear much fruit. If you didn't get it before, Jesus says, I'll say it again. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You say, what does nothing mean in the original language? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. So what do we do with all this? What, What does this mean for us this morning? Well, Jesus is saying to his disciples then, just like he's saying to us now, If you want to characterize our ongoing, growing relationship with Jesus Christ in a single word, you can use the word abide. God honoring fruitfulness, life impacting ministry, true joy, zeal, fervor, love, peace, all the things that come from Christ flow out of our abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ you're part of this church, you're a member of this church, you've been part of this church any amount of time, we use that word all the time, we kind of throw it out there talking about our abiding relationship because here's what we fundamentally believe. Everything in your life will flow out of your healthy, dynamic, growing relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. If that is not right, If that is not right, nothing else in your life will be right. Your marriage won't be right. Your ministry won't be right. Your workplace won't be right. Nothing will be right. Jesus says, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, what does it mean to abide? Two aspects we're going to look at. One you looked at last week, so we're only going to look at the second one this morning. From John 15, he gives two aspects. The first one is this. I'll give you two life principles. Number one, 
we abide by resting in our position in Christ. One aspect of abiding is we abide by resting in our position in Christ. The grace that we have been given in Christ. The grace that we have received in Christ. John 15, 3. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abiding here, as Jesus describes it, one aspect of it is, is the realization and the rehearsing in our mind, the clinging to the truth of Scripture, everything necessary for you to be right with God, everything necessary for me to grow, everything necessary for me to be clean before God and justified is absolutely done in Christ. He's done it all. The sense of abiding here is not, okay, here's what I'm going to go do to earn something. The sense of abiding is, yes, I'm going to, by faith, receive and rest in what has already been done in Christ. Talked about that a little bit last week. Resting in our position in Christ is to say with Ephesians 1, I have been made clean. I am completely forgiven and pronounced righteous before God in Christ. I am adopted as one of his own, Ephesians 1. I've experienced a new birth. Listen, abiding is, is a sense that, I said this before, do not be lured into the lie that Christianity is a self-improvement plan. It is, a, it is a pull myself up by my bootstraps plan. If I could just follow a few principles and a few guidelines, I'm going to make myself better. No, it is a death to self and the life of Christ coming and living inside of you. It is done in Christ. Everything necessary for us to be positionally made right with God. Jesus says, abide, rest, that you have a right standing before God not because you earned it, not because you achieved it, not because you can ever lose it, because everything necessary has been done in Christ. So the second aspect is not, the, is not just the resting in our position. There's a second aspect to this abiding relationship that Jesus talks about, and it, it kind of flows this way. I want you to think of it this way. The fact that we are accepted by God, the fact that we are right with God, the fact that we are forgiven is all an act of grace. It, it's given by God because of grace. But in our lives as believers, the, the, when we receive grace by faith, grace also brings about a response in our lives. It is a, is a motivation in our lives that creates new desires and new hunger. There, there's a transformation that goes on in our lives. Grace is received and grace also brings about a response. We're transformed by that grace. So give me an example of that. I'm not sure what you mean. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul, who walked with God, knew Christ, abided in Christ, said this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul says, I rest in the grace of God. I am who I am because of what has been done for me. But he doesn't stop there. Now listen. And his grace toward me did not prove vain or empty. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. In other words, the grace of God that makes us right with God received is the same grace of God that propels us and energizes us and causes us to respond, not just in resting in a position, watch this, in a pursuit of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you a different way. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. 
Again, Paul, writing about grace, says, For the grace of God has appeared, speaking of Christ, bringing salvation to all men, all God's people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that the grace of God we receive by faith also transforms us and creates new desires in our heart. Paul said, the grace of God in my life did not prove vain. It produced something in me. See, the opposite of that is to understand, okay, well, we accept Christ by faith, and then we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and hopefully we live this Christian life by our sheer grit. No, it is the grace of God. And Jesus in in John 15 is speaking of that, and he's saying, abide in me one sense of that is rest in what has been done for you and at the same time that grace will produce a daily hungering pursuit of fellowship with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ I want to know Christ more grace produces that in us second life principle is this we abide by pursuing fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ there's a pursuit Anyone who knows a person who's generally been born again, anyone who's read this book of the story of Old Testament saints and New Testament saints who truly had an encounter with God, a life-shaping encounter with God, it's more than just a decision that they make one day. It is a full alteration of their life and transformation that changes what they pursue and what they desire and what they long for. Jesus is saying, hey, abiding, it is a pursuit of me. Not a pursuit to gain standing before God, but a pursuit because you've already had that standing before God. And it motivates me to continue to grow and have this life of Jesus in me. Let me give you some examples. Throughout the Bible, there are examples of men and women who pursued this way. Job 23, 12. Job said, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job had a hunger for the word of God. Grace produced that. There was a pursuit. There was an abiding pursuit. Exodus 33, 18. Moses. Moses was a godly man. Moses walked with God. Moses had seen God do incredible things. He walked in through the Red Sea. He saw the power and the glory of God. But then you come to Exodus 33 and Moses says something crazy. He says, then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Meaning. Grace was so at work in his life. He was so resting in his position that this abiding relationship was a hunger and a pursuit to know God more and more and more and more and more. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? I don't even go a step further. Jesus is saying one of the evidences that a person has a true relationship and you have been transformed is that your life is going to be characterized by a hunger and a pursuit for God and the things of God. There is no security for us to say, I know everything's all right with God because I made a decision 30 years ago. Is there any fruit in your life today? Today. Jesus says, abide, pursue. David, Psalm 27 said, One thing I've asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. What's he saying? I am seeking, I am pursuing. I'm right with God. 
because of grace, I'm right, I'm in Christ, but there's this hunger in my heart, there's this pursuit in my heart. Is that true for you? Paul, Philippians 3, said, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, everything else is secondary. I have this hunger. I have this desire to pursue the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that true for us? So what I want to do in the minutes we have remaining is I want to take this John 15 passage and really answer the question, okay, if, if what Jesus is saying here is our fruitfulness and our joy and our life and our vitality. It's like this vine and this branch. And I'm connected by grace, but yet there's this pursuit because I want more of Him and I want more of His life flowing through my life. And what does that pursuit then look like? What will be some characteristics in our life of this pursuit as Jesus describes it in John 15? I'm going to give you three of them very quickly of this pursuit. Abiding is resting and abiding is a pursuit of the person of Jesus. Number one is this. Our pursuit of Jesus flows out of deep, deep dependence. Now let me read you a verse here. Jesus again says in John 15, 4, we read it a minute ago, but I want to read this again. And I want you to understand when Jesus said this in that day, and if we really knew what he was saying here, it would probably offend us. (laughs) He says this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine. Here's what he's saying. Guys, whether you realize it or not, to his disciples and to us, you are woefully and completely and totally dependent on me to produce anything in this life that matters. He said, guys, I want you to remember, it's like if I take this branch and I disconnect it from the life-giving vine and this branch is no longer pursuing, in a sense, this branch in and of itself has no capacity to honor God, to bear fruit, to accomplish anything of significance in this life. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, that's you. (laughs) And the point is, when we hear things like that, which are true of us in our fallenness, it's not to cause us to mope around and go, oh, he called me an old branch. It's to motivate us to pursue the life that is found in the vine. Because here's what happens to you and me. We hear passages like this, and it kind of grates on us because deep down inside of us, every one of us is a desire for independence. We want to be able to say, I can do it. I've got this covered. I can handle it. And we really want the praise when we accomplish it. That's our flesh, right? Jesus says, let me just remind you, and he says this in John chapter 6, the flesh profits nothing. Anything you do in and of your own efforts, apart from the power of the Spirit of Jesus inside of you, it may look good on the outside, it may cause a stir, it may be full of activity, but if it's not motivated, empowered, and fueled by the Spirit of God and the grace of God, it profits nothing ultimately in eternity. Wow. So what that does for me is... It motivates our hearts and it reminds me of James that says God opposes the proud or those who think they can handle it on their own but God gives grace to the humble. 
Our song on Monday morning, our song on Sunday night is not, look at me, Lord, watch me go, or I think I've got this covered, or we get to the end of our week and we thought, man, I haven't even stopped to spend any time with the Lord. I've not been in His Word. Our song on Sunday night and our song on Monday morning is, I need you. Let's be honest. In my life, sometimes I simply don't believe John 15, 5. I think I can do fine on my own. And I would never get up from my house on Monday morning and get in my car and drive out and be driving down the driveway and go, Okay, Lord, I got this. I really don't need you today. Nobody in here would probably say that. But we will get up and we'll begin our days and we'll go into our life and somehow in our mind we'll think, I can handle this. I'm going to do it. I've got it covered And we live slowly, independently of the life-giving power of the Spirit of God because we're not pursuing that fellowship and that time and time in His Word with Him. Jesus says, listen, man, you're the branch. You have no capacity in and of yourself to do anything that matters or to know joy or peace or life or love. It is totally and wholly as you remain vitally connected to the vine. Hang on to the vine. Pursue Christ. Know Him in His Word. And that's the second one. Application number one is our pursuit of Jesus flows out of this deep dependence. I I can't do anything apart from Him. And that creates a hunger for Him. Secondly, we pursue Jesus through His Word. We pursue Jesus. Okay, so what does it look like, this idea of of abiding? I mean, He said it to, to His disciples then, and He was with them. Well, He's not with me today. What am I supposed to do? Very clearly in Scripture, Jesus says, John 15, 7, if you abide in me, and let me be more specific, Jesus says, and my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then there'll be a response. You'll be able to ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Why? Because my word will be so transformational in your heart and your thoughts and your perspectives and your attitudes that you'll be thinking the very thoughts of God. And you'll respond in a vibrant, dynamic prayer life. And you'll be communing with the living God. And there'll be this flow of life and energy. And Christ will be formed in you. And fruit will be bore in you as you abide. Hold on to the vine. Cling to the vine. Pursue the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, John 15, 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. See, for you and I, very practically this morning, Jesus says, abide in me. The fruitfulness of our abiding relationship is directly connected to the place we give His Word in our life. Directly connected to it. Our fruitfulness, our joy, our love will never exceed the place we give the life-giving Word of God in our lives. That's why we as a church continually try to hold out and and I'll just tell you, my, my perspective, my joy, my attitudes, my perceptions, my fears, all of that, it begins to erode if I drift from God's Word in my own life. My joy, my fruitfulness begins to drift, and I replace it with activity, and I replace it with frustration, and I replace it with all these self-generated things instead of pursuing abiding relationship in the word with God's people 
So for us, that's why we as a church continually hold out. We, we want you to be men and women and people of the Word. I want to be a man of the Word in my own life. That's why we hold out things like study groups so that you can come and hear the Word taught and things like life groups where you'll get in a group with other believers and they'll be sharing what God is teaching them through the Word and you're pouring into one another with the Word of God and why we hold out things like family discipleship plan to hold out the Word to our families. Because Jesus says, abide in me and my words abide in you. In fact, real practically, I didn't bring it up here with me, but in two weeks when we kick off the Acts series, Wes and the team and others have put together what's called an Abide Journal. It's going to be a great resource that we provided for you to be able to spend your time with God. Then take that to your life groups, take it to your study group, bring it to your, to the weekend service and be able to give you a tool to help in this pursuit of the Lord Jesus. We'll be having those in a couple weeks for you, this Abide Journal. So our abiding is directly connected to the place we give God's word in our life. Application number three, and we'll be finished. So what's the result of all that? Well, what happens is the outcome of that, this abiding, this hunger, this dependence on the Lord as we seek him in his word and we seek fellowship with him. Well, Jesus says, application number three, as we pursue, we progressively bear more fruit, bringing glory to God. Some of you say, man, here's what I want out of my life. I want my life to glorify God. How does that happen? Jesus says it. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciple. God says, whatever this idea of fruit bearing is, and notice, He doesn't command us to bear fruit. He commands us to abide. You don't go into an apple orchard and hear the apple trees in the apple orchard grunting to produce apples, right? Did that ever happen? Man, what's wrong with that apple tree? Well, it's just working real hard to produce those apples. No. The natural overflow of a healthy apple tree will be to produce apples, fruit. The natural overflow of an abiding life in Christ and in His Word will be fruitfulness. What is it? What does it look like? I, I use this word throughout. What is fruitfulness? Well, here's what we know about fruitfulness. Jesus says fruitfulness in our lives is what defines, it's the defining mark of a believer. He says right here in 15.8, prove to be my disciples. Demonstrate that you're a disciple. What is the, the proof? Fruitfulness. Evidence of being a true child of God is fruitfulness over time, over time, okay? So it's evidence of being a true believer. It's also, it comes in varying degrees. In other words, as we grow, our fruitfulness will increase. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus says, the Father works so that you'll bear fruit. Then he says, the Father works that you'll bear more fruit. And then he says, the Father's at work that you'll bear much fruit. So as we follow Christ and pursue Christ and abide and rest in Him, there's this increasing amount of fruitfulness in our life. And, th- and then thirdly, fruit is that in the believer which glorifies God. My Father's glorified by this. You bear fruit? Well, what is it? Here's a healthy, I think, helpful definition in this context of what fruitfulness is. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Definition of fruit, ready? Is Jesus Christ manifest in my life? So what does that mean? Jesus Christ manifest in my life. What what does that mean? So in a vineyard, 
You have the vine. You have the branch. You have the grapes. And what is pressed out through the branch and that then manifests itself in grapes is the very life of that vine itself. The nutrients and the supply and the vitality. It's as if that, it's a word picture. The vine presses its very life out through that branch and what comes out on the other side are these beautiful grapes, the fruitfulness. Listen to me. As a believer, Colossians says, the hope of glory is this reality, Christ in you. Abiding is this dynamic, vibrant, healthy communion with God through Christ. It is His Word in us. It is turning from sin. It is the Spirit of God working in us. And over time, watch this, we grow progressively and progressively and progressively more and more like Jesus Christ. His very life is pressed out through our lives. Listen. Following Jesus is not self-improvement. I said it earlier. It's not me trying to find my best life now or seeking my best efforts or doing everything. No, no. It is the very life of Jesus Christ pressed out through me. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Christ in you. When we abide, when we rest, when we seek him, when we bury ourselves in his word, when we commune with him among God's people, Jesus is at work pressing his very life out through your life. And that glorifies God. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Listen, love. What kind of love? Man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work it up to produce the best kind of love that I can produce. No, it is the love of Christ being pressed out through your life. Love, joy, what kind of joy? His joy. John 15, here if you read on it, it says, These words I've spoken to you that my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. Listen, don't settle for cheap substitutes in following Jesus. It is Christ in you. It is the life of Christ that is pressed out through you. And it's the fruitfulness of a Christ life that the world is to see and God is glorified by. Say, I want that. I want that. Jesus says, okay, abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in my word. Pursue me in intimacy with me. But dig deep down into the word. Pursue it in community with other believers. Listen, let me give you a reality here really quick and then we're going to close. There is a myth out there that floats around like this. We come to something like abide and here's what we think. We'll say this. My relationship with Jesus is personal. And that's true. But what we subtly mean by that is my abiding relationship with Jesus is private. And I'm going to do my thing over here with Jesus. And all I need is Jesus. And I'm going to pursue him. Listen, that's not biblical. Say, what do you mean? John 15. 10 to 15 times the word you appears. You abide. You bear fruit. 
you bring glory to the Father. Now listen, this is huge. Every single time it is in the plural, meaning we, us. There's a myth out there that says, yes, I'm going to pursue Christ. And it's true. We do pursue, pursue our personal time with Christ, our devotion with Christ, yes. But you will never understand or fully enjoy or even know how to abide in isolation from the people of God. That's the way he's designed it. We abide together. We gather on Sunday, for example, to hear the Word of God. We gather in groups to spur one another on. We challenge. We grow together. Abiding is not a solo sport. It is done in community with other believers. So I don't know where you are on all this this morning, so I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm not going to pressure you or anything like that. We're going to stand and sing together in just a moment, a song of response. But right now, I want you to give me one more minute. I want to ask you just to bow your head right there where you're seated for just one minute. I'm just asking you to do that so you can kind of block out all distractions for a minute. Here's some questions for you to wrestle with right now. First question is this. Jesus said very clearly there's only two types of branches. The kinds that bear fruit and the kind that do not bear fruit. Over time, those who are truly in Christ will bear fruit. And over time, those who are really playing a game, there'll be no fruit. How's your fruit today? Is there evidence of an abiding relationship and life with Christ? Is it evident in your life today by fruit? I'm not talking about Christian activity. I'm not talking about religiosity. I'm talking about the very life of Christ. Do you look, act, sound more like Jesus now than you did a year ago? Second, if you're a child of God this morning, are you resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus? Part of abiding is over and over to rehearse over and over what Christ has accomplished on my behalf. Preach the gospel to yourself. Yes, Lord. And that gospel, that grace propels us to a deeper abiding relationship with Him. Child of God, is there a passionate hunger and a pursuit for Christ and His Word? Are you content? Is there this idea of, yes, I know I'm growing to a Christ-likeness, but I'm okay where I am. No, no, no. We are so far from what we could be in Christ. God, give us that hunger. Give us that hunger. Is your life characterized by a hunger for God, His Word, for His people, for His mission, for His church? God, give us that. How do I get that? Abide. Abide. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I plead with you this morning that you take these words and my feeble attempt to try to explain what your word says, Lord, and you use it in our lives. God, generate hope, generate passion, generate pursuit. God, I ask you this morning to bring about conviction where there's necessary conviction. I pray for repentance where there's necessary repentance, where we're deceiving ourselves or we're fooling ourselves or we're just floating through life and there's no pursuit or whatever it is. God, bring that about in us this morning. Give us the grace to abide, to long for you, to wake up on Monday morning and say, I can't do anything of myself. I'm going to cling to the vine for life and joy and peace and strength and 
God, let us bear much fruit for your glory. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you this time to just stand to your feet and sing a song of response as our team leads us.